Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Seuss. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. We promise. Yes. Cross our hearts. <laughs> we also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention criminal minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. You gotta give doctors a read all the while. Yes. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come, hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, buttercups. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hello, my darlings. Welcome back to another episode of Crime and Spirits Podcast. I am Bree. And I'm Suze. And if you're new here, welcome for the first time. We're happy to have you. So very happy to have you. So we are recording this episode literally the night before it drops because <laughs> we were not, we had a long week. It's been crazy. If, if you work in the service industry, you know that Thanksgiving is the beginning of it. Right. You know, the black curtain of Black Friday drops and it all goes downhill. Tis the holiday season. It, it is. is upon us. And I am not ready, folks. That doesn't mean if you're in the U.S. If you're not in the U.S., Thank God for you, because Thanksgiving this year ran was rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we were closed on Thanksgiving, thankfully, but yeah. I did have to work the Wednesday before, which is one of the biggest drinking days of the year, and then the Black Friday after, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. These cocktails are much needed right about now. <laughs> and see, I had to work Thanksgiving morning. I had to work open to 10.30. I almost fought, I just told Suze the story about how I almost fought a man over a vanilla bean frappuccino. That was fun. Another person almost fought my supervisor because she claimed it took 40 minutes to get her drink, even though it took maybe 15. Yeah. I had a similar incident. What what really grinds my gears... misjudging times. <laughs> what really grinds my gears is that we have an app for the app. So we can see when your order was placed, when we, like, like when we received it in the store, we can see when we pulled the ticket to make it. Like, You'd have to have some of kind of checks and balances like that to make it efficient. Otherwise, it would just be yeah. chaos. It's relatively time. new. Like, it came out this year, and so there was a lot of kinks. But, like, now that we have, like, it's honestly a godsend. Mobile order is, like, half of our business now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, legit 50%. Everybody at work mobile orders their coffee on yep. the, like, before they leave their house so they can pick yep. it up on the way to work. Hypothetically so. speaking, that's how it should yeah. work. Yeah. Unless it's Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> or, like, Black Friday, because that was also terrible. Black Friday. Well, and I don't, with the pandemic and everything, Black Friday really wasn't a thing there for a while because they encouraged you to order things online. Right. Rather than go out and cram yourself into stores with a million other people and just spread the germs around. So this is the first, like, 
resurgence of Black Friday that I've seen. Yeah. So we had a fryer fire. We had to shut down oh, for yeah, two hours. Great. It was just everybody's okay, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And if you work in kitchens, we have this big system that will shoot foam down over all the equipment. Did that happen? It did not. Because we would have been closed probably for like two weeks so yeah. they could get it cleaned up. But they tried, <laughs> I believe, flour, baking soda, salt, and then finally the industrial-sized fire extinguisher that we have. For Why <laughs> was the fire extinguisher not the first choice? I don't. I, I, we did have to take a class when I supervised at my job oh, on yeah. how to use a fire extinguisher. And that bad boy was, like, the size of, like, yeah, a 10-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I could have lifted it and even managed to aim it That's properly. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> but then they had to clean up all that. So it was just, mm-hmm, yeah. I'm happy to be done for the week. Long yeah, story honestly, short. same. I'd rather be talking about murder and mayhem. Yes, than <laughs> honestly, same. Than deep fried foods. <laughs> and part of the reason we bring up Thanksgiving, not only is it the most relevant intrusion on our lives lately, because like you guys know, if you've listened to us for a hot minute, I am not really into the holidays. Yeah. I feel very disconnected from this time of year. My mother-in-law is an angel. And she does everything she can to make it fun. And it does. We have a tradition now of making ornaments at the house oh, nice. before we leave for Christmas. And Grandma gets a set and Lisa gets a set. And so this year, it always devolves into us telling each other to fuck off. Because nice. we're all like, well, I'm a better artist than you. Why is Shania the best artist? Why did Mark finish his so nice? Why was everything awesome? Why wasn't I more prepared with the design? <laughs> it was like a whole thing. So it's a lot of fun. But... We mentioned that because this week we are covering the Thanksgiving Butcher. Mm. Her name is Omaima Nelson, and then we are, by default, covering the murder of her husband, Bill. Now, before you say anything about the subject matter being directly linked to the holiday we just celebrated, let me explain. We kind of stumbled across this case while researching one day because we were actually looking for something maybe more like on the historical side of Thanksgiving to do a deep dive on. We weren't really trying to do murder and mayhem for the holidays. But nothing really resonated with either of us. Not at all. And then we kind of came across the story about Omaima and Bill, and we were instantly morbidly hooked. Because I've actually, the way that I found this case was um, through Snapped. (laughs) So, uh, as soon as I read, like, the tagline, like, the clickbait thing, I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Right, absolutely. So, while we were initially unsure of whether we should do something so on the nose, if you will, we kind of just said fuck it and decided to cover it anyways. I mean, not all our listeners are from the U.S., so I don't really think they care about any correlation to the holiday. And like I said, I I don't really either. So, so here we are. It's a really interesting story, nonetheless. I, it is. That There's we a wanted, lot of moving parts Yeah, here. so we really wanted to just go ahead and tell it. Um, Just a heads up before we get into it, there will be some discussion regarding alleged sexual assaults, abuse, and cannibalism in this case. If you're not into that, we totally get that. There is also the briefest mentions of cruelty to an animal. Just wanted to warn you ahead of time, because we do always try to avoid getting into graphic detail, but we understand if that's just something you're not into. Um, We never mean any disrespect to the victims or to the families of those involved in the cases we discuss. Our intention is to educate ourselves as well as you if you're listening. Ultimately, the goal is for us all to learn together, whether it's about a true crime or about mixology. Either way, we're learning something. Learning. Knowledge is power. Heck yeah. 
it's all about just having like good conversations with friends and just responsibly enjoying an adult beverage and just hanging out. Let's de-stress with some murder and mayhem. Seriously, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Take the edge off. So. If you like what you were about to hear and you would like to go on this journey with us, make sure to follow the pod on social media. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, make sure to stick around at the end and we'll give you those handles as well. Now, let's get into our cocktail for this week because it looks freaking beautiful. It is so good. And I got to try one of the components, so I'm really excited. Because, all right, so this drink recipe is going to seem complicated. It's honestly not. <laughs> Um, if you've ever made loose leaf tea, think the same idea. Um, just replace your tea with hibiscus flowers, dried hibiscus flowers. You know mm. those pretty, beautiful, blossomy, big flowers? Yeah. You think tropical? Mm -hmm. Think tea now. Um, <laughs> we're just making it in a larger batch, and I added some spices to it. It turned out phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's the part I got to try. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, there is a non-alcoholic Egyptian drink called Egyptian Day. It's spelled K-A-R-K-A-D-E, or hibiscus iced tea. It, yeah. I'm not good at pronunciations. I don't speak Egyptian fluently, so, yep. Um, the one that they make there, from what I've researched, looks like just the hi dried hibiscus flowers, water, and sugar. So, basically, it's like a simple syrup. Yeah. Like a diluted one with some flowers in Interesting. it. Interesting. Um... I thought the accent of some spices would make it more interesting, so I googled recipes for this specific type of tea. I saw some recipes that used honey, some used Ooh. spices that are not what I use. It's mostly whatever your taste buds sound like. Whatever, whatever your fancy. Exactly, or whatever you have in the cupboard, yeah. honestly, because what I used was all stuff I had, so mm. it's like it was all good. Convenient. Um, so originally our main character in this true crime tale was from Egypt, so that led me into researching what Egyptians drink, which led me to the fact that they drink beer, if they drink at all, because they have apparently been making and drinking beer for thousands of years, like literally since BC. Oh, wow. Right. Who knew? Not me, <laughs> until now. Um, Egypt is predominantly Islamic, uh, from what I read online, an estimated somewhere around 90% of the population. Oh. Alcohol is among things that they frown upon in yeah. that culture. However, tourism is, tourism is big business, especially yeah. in Cairo. So, Cairo, excuse me. So, alcohol is still sold in many restaurants and licensed shops. You can still get it. This tea is non-alcoholic it's like a refreshing tea that you get at like the hotel or okay. you know what i mean yeah. when you're out having lunch or whatever i'm just adding alcohol to it because this is about cocktails and true crime, yeah. right um also i was completely unaware that you could just purchase big bags of loose leaf hibiscus flowers on amazon you were very excited when you discovered this i was because <laughs> i just thought of like getting it in the tea bags yeah and I was like, like well, that doesn't sound good. I think I can do better. So, turns out they're on Amazon. The dried flowers actually smell kind of raisiny. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense to and me. And also, the tea concentrate smells like a sauce of some kind. I said <laughs> cranberry sauce. Yeah. Cranberry. It definitely is cranberry-y. Because they did, they did liken it to like a cranberry juice. If you, when you're making the concentrate, want it sweeter, add more sugar. If you want it more tart, add less sugar. The color is definitely reminiscent of cranberry juice. It's so pretty, guys. 
All right, so to make the tea concentrate, you're basically just making a diluted flavored simple syrup. I took four cups of filtered water, one full cup of sugar. Again, you can scale it back if you don't like it as sweet, but for this cocktail, it's better sweet in my opinion. Um, one cinnamon stick, five thin slices of fresh peeled ginger, and six allspice berries. You just put all that in a saucepan, turn it on simmery kind of heat until it boiled lightly and all the sugar was dissolved. You just turn off the burner, stir in one cup of the dried hibiscus flowers with a spatula. Also, just a thing of note, don't use a wooden spatula unless you want it to be red forever. <laughs> I use like a silicone one to sort of mix them yeah. in because you don't really want to like pound them up or break them apart. You just want them gradually mixed in. Right. Put a lid on it. Let it sit for 20 minutes. That's literally it. Mm. Set it and forget it. When the timer goes off, drain out the, the flowers and the spices. I just strained mine into a stainless steel bowl and then transferred it into a glass jar once it had cooled down a little. Um, that's your concentrate. That's it. Okay. You can store it in the fridge when you're ready to serve it. You want to do equal parts concentrate and water. That so makes if sense. you want to have a mocktail, um, do one cup, two cups of the concentrate, one cup, two cups of chilled water, mix it together, do a little lime juice or lemon juice, whatever floats your boat, stir it up, and you have a nice refreshing cocktail. No nice. cocktail, mocktail. A mocktail. <laughs> I like it. So for our drink drink, we're taking the concentrate. We're also using, um, Smirnoff has a zero sugar vodka. It's strawberry rose flavored. Mm. It's very good on its own. I don't know how it's zero sugar because it is a little sweet, but it tastes phenomenal in this drink. So you take your shaker tin. We use three ounces of the concentrate, two ounces of the vodka, shake that together, strain it into, we used a beer mug, you can use a Collins glass, whatever blows your hair back, but again, you're gonna have to adjust accordingly. If you use a short rocks glass, it's not all going to fit. Yeah, you'll want less <laughs> Or it's going components. to be so strengthy, it's going to blow your socks off. <laughs> so just keep that in mind when you're picking glassware and stuff. No judgment if you're into that. Yeah, but. hey, whatever <laughs> floats your boat. Um, once you've got that in your fresh glass filled with ice, if you like your drinks bubbly, we added in one ounce of club soda. If you do not feel like bubbles, add in one ounce of chilled water. We squeezed a little bit of lime juice into ours just for fun. Garnished it with a lime wheel. Once everything's in your glass, just give it a little stir to kind of mix it all up. And then you've got your cocktail. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That is such an interesting flavor. There's so many flavors happening. It's They're so really... good. And again, you can leave out the lime juice. I added it to make it a little tart and sort of take the edge off of all the sugar, but mm. you don't have That's to add good. any of those things. If you just want hibiscus, sugar, and water, you could do that. But I really liked the flavorings in it. It's very subtle, but it really You really can't pops. even tell there's vodka in here, which is when it gets real dangerous, it's, folks. Yep. <laughs> All downhill. I took, like, two sips, and I was like, I'm going to put this down. Yeah, we were doing whoa. some, like, mic testing because we're trying to figure out how to adjust some of the audio technicalities here. To make it sound better for you, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Right? I have a friend who's going to help me. <laughs> it just tastes like tea to me, but in a it's very delicious so way. It's so good. Wow. So wow, that's, wow. that's our spiked hibiscus tea. And again, it's very easy to make it a mocktail. Just leave yeah. out the vodka. Everything else and it would still be delicious, I think. How cool. I love it. Cool, cool, cool. All right.
So let's get into things. We're going to start with a little background information on Omaima herself. As Suze mentioned, she was born and raised in Egypt. Her family lived in a poor village near the Sudan border. Her home life was bad. Like bad, bad. Not just like bad. It was like... It mm. was... One could say it was traumatic. It was fucking awful. Her father was described as a violently abusive man, both physically and sexually, to both her and her mother. An example of this, at the age of seven, Omaima was forced to undergo female genital mutilation, which, if you're not familiar, is a absolutely horrific and barbaric procedure to have to endure. That they still do in parts of Africa and places like that. Uh, Because they've always done it, so they just assume we're always, we're just going to continue to do it because that's what we've always done. I hate that line of logic for shit like this more than anything. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) That's a whole nother topic, yeah. Honestly, (laughs) but it gives you an example of the kind of household that she lived in because she was literally forced to go through this procedure which affected her physically and her sex life for the rest of her life. Well, and emotionally, mentally, like, you're so scarred by something like that. Like, she was I can't seven. even imagine. Woof. Seven. So, eventually, Omaima's mother did find the courage she needed to get the fuck out of there. Unfortunately, the split left the family destitute. They moved to the City of the Dead, which was a slum located in Cairo. It was basically a bunch of shacks built among the tombs there that kind of made up a community of sorts. No, thank you. Well, no, I don't think anybody would choose that. No, for sure. But I guess given no other option, stay in that life or get away and live. Right. You know what I mean? The choice would be clear, I think. Uh, So, when Omaima was 18, she met a man named Roger Stainbrook. He was an oil worker from America, and the two of them jumped into a physical relationship almost immediately. <laughs> um, when her mother caught wind of this, she became insistent that they marry. Um, Omaima's family, and likely Omaima herself, saw this as a huge opportunity. Right. It was a chance for her to get out of the crushing poverty they were living in, which I don't blame her. No, truly. I don't blame a single person in that situation Not at all. for thinking this way. So, Roger and Omaima tie the knot and become husband and wife in 1986. Soon after that, the job that was keeping Roger in Egypt came to an end, which meant that it was time for him to head back to Texas, of all places. I read that and I was like, son of a bitch. (laughs) I know, right? (sighs) Of course, his new wife, Omaima, came along. Um, However, it wasn't too long after arriving in the States that the relationship, shockingly, Fell apart, and the two wound up divorcing. Was it shocking? Not at all. Mm. Not as, not the more I learned. Right. Too. <laughs> now, suddenly, Omaima found herself alone in the U.S. with no money and no real grasp of the language. So for a while, she kind of just drifted around, picking up odd jobs where she could. She would sometimes work as a housekeeper, maybe a nanny. She was a beautiful young woman, so she was able to land some modeling gigs here and there. None of this was enough to survive on, let alone fund the kind of lifestyle Omaima really wanted. Mm -hmm. Her attorney would later say that, quote, she wanted the lifestyle of Southern California, which was very exciting to her, end quote. That checks out. Mm -hmm. It sure does. But can you even imagine, though, coming from the type of poverty she grew up in to 
not even being rich in the United States, but like having any kind of freedom, having anything, having a car, having a house, an apartment, a job, like being able to get takeout, you know what I mean? Like any of those things would probably just be like, holy shit, I've almost made it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Some people that might trigger that I need to do more and get more and have more. As we so often say, this case is just an awful, terrible onion that has layers. Nothing is black and white. Always. Omaima came from a really shitty situation, and I don't necessarily fault a lot of her decision-making. However, we're going to see that that wasn't always... They weren't always good decisions. No, they were not. (laughs) Mostly bad decisions. You know, since she couldn't afford the lifestyle that she really wanted, she had to get creative. She dabbled in some petty theft, but she really focused her attention on spending the money that belonged to the men in her life. She was good at that. That she was. She was a looker. I don't like to focus on that kind of stuff when it comes to these cases, because I don't feel like that should weigh as heavily as other things. No, for sure. But in this situation, she was beautiful. I see the honey that was drawing the men in. Right. Like, I get it. I I get it. Yes, that's the perfect way to put it. So her relationship M.O., if you will, was kind of a three-step program. Find a man, move into his place of residence immediately, (laughs) and then spend all his money. These relationships were fleeting. Sometimes she would just tire of the man she was with and just kind of moved on to the next. Other times, ending things weren't that simple. It didn't happen often, but there were a couple of incidents where the men Omaima were dating became frustrated with her and her spending which is completely fair again nobody is in the wrong here necessarily right. it's just not yet really least. crappy <laughs> now this would lead to a confrontation of some kind and to say the least omaima had a tendency to react poorly if you will there we'll, was we'll say poorly <laughs> that's one way to say it right because <laughs> right. there was this man uh, that she dated at one time. His name was Robert Hansen, and he was threatened with a shotgun and tied to a chair once, all because he chose to confront Omaima one day. She proceeded to then rob him and disappear into the night. So it seemed as either she was just like, I'm going to voluntarily leave the situation. Because I'm tired of you. Because I don't want to do it. Or she would be forced to, and then she would retaliate, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or freak out. I guess. Yeah. And to me, it seems like when she got put into a situation in which her back was up against the wall, she just kind of lost it. Right. Which tracks considering her her upbringing and environment that she was in. Oh, and all for that sure. Kind of Again, I, I can't say I blame her yet. Not yet. Yet being the operative word. All right. So the first five years she's in the United States, this is pretty much how she lives her life. Then, in October of 1991... 23-year-old Omaima meets William E. Nelson. William, a.k.a. Bill, was a 56-year-old pilot who was described as, quote, unquote, larger than life. That age difference, though. Uh... I get it, though. I get it. He liked pretty things. <laughs> she was a pretty girl. I mean, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a wealthy man, and he did enjoy showing that off wherever he went. Uh, if his bright red Corvette didn't give it away first, his bright red cowboy boots and absurdly large golden belt buckle would certainly get that point across. I just love that those details were so prominent 
in the research. Well, it not only came up like once or twice, right. it was in like literally everything that I yeah. read. And I was like, this Same. must be his defining outfit. Red Corvette, red boots, big gold belt buckle. Because I sought out some other, like some stuff while you were researching. Yeah. I went to look and tried to find like the Snapped episode. I didn't find that, but I found a pretty interesting little blurb on YouTube. And, but anything that I did see, red cowboy boots, red Corvette, golden belt buckle, flashing his money wherever yep. he went. Yep. This is how you get into trouble, sir. Guys, just so <laughs> we're all clear, don't do that. Don't flash your money unless all over you, the place. Unless you have, like, a security detail with yeah. you. Um, a little fun fact about Mr. Bill. In the 80s, he actually got in trouble with the law and had to serve several years in jail because... He got caught smuggling cannabis. Remember, he was a pilot. <laughs> he just thought, maybe I'll just put it all on my plane and just fly off, you know, back into the U.S. with it. He sure did try. You're not supposed to do that, it's so. Against the law, sir. Especially you're not supposed to get caught doing it. But I thought that was an interesting piece of information because I feel like it just kind of added another layer of that personality that we're seeing at Bill's, like that larger-than-life kind of vibe. Uh, I, I could see like it. a mod, like a modern, like eighties cowboy. Yeah, I mean, was it was what I thought of what ninety one I mean? when they yeah. met and got together. So yeah, I think that totally instead fits. of a horse, he was flying a plane. You know what I mean? Like still yes. being kind of a badass, and that was the image that I had in my brain. Yeah, kind of same, kind of same. So it took no time at all for Omaima to lock this dude down. There are conflicting reports regarding the timeline. Some say that the couple only knew each other for, like, no more than two days before they got married, which, okay. Other sources say it took up to two months before the wedding happened. Either way, seems a bit fast. Super duper fast. Especially when you consider the fact that Bill was still legally married to another woman when he met Omaima. Now, why is it <laughs> this happens all the time? Get it together, guys. This technicality. Oh, God. They want to have their cake and eat it, that's too. That's what we're seeing. Bad. Now, this technicality did not slow things down. Obama was in love with Bill's bank account. Uh-uh. <laughs> they go on to have a quick little ceremony, and then they get going on their honeymoon. Which wound up being a road trip to Texas and Arkansas, which, if you're thinking like we're thinking, that's not your usual <laughs> honeymoon hotspots, but... It's where Bill's family was living. The point of the trip basically was just to introduce Omaima to everyone because they literally had no time to do so beforehand. They met, they blinked, they're like, we're in love, let's get married. Mm, you're in love with something. <laughs> um, however, Omaima did not actually receive the warmest of welcomes when she arrived because naturally everybody, especially Bill's family, were skeptical um, the age difference itself was definitely a red flag for his family. Uh, she literally was younger than some of Bill's children. Weird. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ew. Um, Omaima did eventually win them over, though. While they were out riding horses one day, she was thrown off of hers. Omaima, quote-unquote, toughed it out and only requested some aspirin and vodka because apparently that's what you do. What? I don't know, man. That would hurt like a mother trucker. That gave, like, <clears throat> and it's, I don't know, that made me, that gave me, like, Russian vibes. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a cultural thing. I don't know, that could be, like, a cowboy thing. Yeah. Back then, you were just supposed to, like, Yeah, you were supposed to, like, buck deal up. Deal with it. Get back on the horse. Ugh, no, all those you. cliches. 
Um, apparently the family was quite impressed, and they sort of started to warm up to Bill's new wife. Once the trip ended, they returned to California, and the couple started settling into their Costa Mesa home, which was an apartment, but still, I'm hey, sure it was super fucking nice. It was probably a really fucking nice apartment. Mm-hmm. I feel like in California, apartment doesn't always mean small. Like, I feel like in New York, apartment can mean small. Well, <laughs> I guess not the it, case. it depends on where you're at. My mm-hmm. mom's cousin, Cindy, lived in San Francisco and paid $1,200 a month for, in essence, this room, this oh. office, and, like, a kitchen and bathroom. Oh, God. Because it was a studio. Yeah, so that makes sense. A, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, again, Been there. San Francisco is a very desirable spot. Yeah. It was gated. There was off-street parking. Like, mm-hmm. it had other amenities. Yeah. Not necessarily space, being one of them, but it, it was very nice. On what you're looking for. Bill strikes me as the kind of man who had lots of space and had nice things. Well, if you have the money for it, yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Corvettes and 91. Corvettes aren't cheap now. I would imagine they were especially cheap I don't cheap think in they've the ever been cheap, <laughs> honestly. So we're going to fast forward to Thanksgiving Day 1991. Bill and Omaima have only been married for just over a month at this point. Now, early in the day, Bill had a conversation with his daughter, Margaret, over the phone. He told his daughter that everything was going great, that him and his wife were having a really good day. Before ending the phone call, he invites Margaret over for dinner, but she declines. What happens next, though, according to Omaima, is far from what I would consider a good day. It's like the actual opposite. Like the antithesis of a great <laughs> a good day. day. <laughs> So, again, this is alleged. Um, Bill sexually assaults Omaima in their apartment. Um, if she is to be believed, this was not an uncommon occurrence. She would go on to say that Bill was often abusive towards her in one way or another. Um, she claims it started on the drive home from their visit with Bill's family. Um, literally their honeymoon. Um, right. She did claim that one of the things he did was throw her cat out of the window, which... Makes me want to punch somebody in the face. I'm not sure who. Yeah. I hope it's not true, but... Honestly. Well, and obviously, I can't speak to what her situation was in that moment, but, like, my knee-jerk reaction is, like, I would fucking kill you if mm-hmm. you threw any of my babies out a window. But my other question is why you would have a cat on a honeymoon. Yeah, the only thing I... So, I, I was thinking about that. I wonder if she didn't... She was, like, moving in with Bill, like... They got, if they got, let's say the two-day oh, no, thing, for was, sure, you know what for I mean? Sure. So I'm wondering if she was, like, still moving her stuff, or if maybe she didn't have anybody to take care of the cat. They Maybe they were going to be gone for a long time. I just, or an undetermined amount of time. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I like, just envision Frank in a car when I take him to the vet see, the once problem a year, is, and he's like, ah, yeah. no. One out of my five, I think, would be cool on a road trip. Oh, Caspi. Yep, it was Casper. Silly Caspi. <laughs> Um, so, Mama claims that things escalated even further once they arrived in California. She alleged that he would handcuff her to chairs before committing sexually abusive acts. It would seem as if the assault that allegedly took place on November 28, 1991 was just the last straw for Omaima out of a lot of last straws. She, quote-unquote, snapped and began stabbing Bill with scissors before then beating him with an iron, eventually killing him. Three days later, on December 1st, a man named Jose is awakened in the wee hours of the morning. He can hear someone pounding on his front door, but when he got up to go look outside, he didn't recognize the red Corvette sitting in his driveway. 
He decided to leave it alone, like a smart man, and did not open the door for this person. The visitor eventually gives up, but at 1 p.m. that afternoon, that red Corvette returns. This time, Jose did open the door and was surprised to see his ex-girlfriend, Omaima, on the other side. Mm -hmm. The two dated briefly the year before and hadn't maintained much contact, so it was a bit odd that she would just show up like that, crying her eyes out with her hands and face all cut up. Mm -hmm. That's especially strange. Right? Omaima went on to tell Jose that her her husband had attacked and sexually assaulted her earlier that week and that she had killed Bill while trying to defend herself. She also mentioned that she had cut up the body but couldn't get rid of it on her own, hence the reason she was at Jose's place. Omaima offered Jose $75,000 plus two motorcycles in exchange for his help. Jose is not a dummy. He agrees and tells Omaima that he would meet her at her apartment, that he just needed to get a truck first, you know, as one would. Obviously. Relieved, Omaima leaves his property. Jose, smart, smart man, (laughs) immediately calls the police instead and informs them of everything that just happened. I can only imagine, like, opening the door to my ex and being like, okay, bro. I don't... What? But what... What other recourse would you have but to call the police? Like, what? I mean, I guess she was hoping that he was, like, in a spot where $75,000... Like, destitute, maybe, enough to be like, heck yeah, I'd like two motorcycles. Yeah, because, I mean, I feel like maybe for her previous situation, it wouldn't have been... That would have been something you would have jumped to do. True. When your back is up against the wall financially, you tend to make decisions that aren't the best. Right. (laughs) I, I get it. To an extent. Not to this extent. Now, naturally, the police track down Bill's red Corvette. And they find Omaima in the driver's seat with some trash bags next to her. Naturally, the officers check the contents of said bags. And they were shocked to find what looked like human organs. Specifically noted a pair of lungs that looked like they belonged to a smoker, which I guess Bill was. They said in in what I read, you could sort of see, because you've all seen the pictures when they tell you to be a non-smoker of like the spots on your lungs. Apparently they were bad enough for it. And keep in mind, Bill was almost 60. Right. If you've been smoking for years, you would have visible spots on your lungs. But I was just like, ooh, no. I actually just recently read a thing because I have been nicotine free. It was a year in August, August 1st, I think it was. So I was kind of curious, like, you know, where am I at kind of in my lung recovery? And I've got a long way to go. But it's interesting to see, like, kind of the the steps that you take when repairing your body. Right. So, like, I think to be that point, like, holy shit, man, how to have been smoking up a storm but again though it's very clear that bill liked the finer things in life maybe he smoked cigars i know those are not super great for you either because they're not filtered in addition to smoking cigarettes that's just like i mean like more bad i didn't want to quit smoking i mean you know that there is a medical reason behind why i had to do it (laughs) but i mean i'm glad i'm glad that i don't have that habit anymore it is kind of gross it's bad for you terrible for you i definitely do feel better but you know it's hard it's a hard habit to kick when you're 60 and you're rich you're kind of probably like fuck it at this point like, <laughs> you know what i mean you made it yolo, that long. let's just keep doing it <laughs> i made it to 32 before my body was like all right lady Maybe you need to like don't. get it together 
Um, so, Amima immediately launched into several different stories and conflicting statements as to why she would have lungs and other organs in the car with her. In the passenger seat. Just hanging out. <laughs> what? I was like, wait, huh? Not even in the trunk or anything. No, I like, I think that it seems almost like she was panicked even three days later. Right. Like, she just maybe didn't have any clue what to do at this point. Like... There's actually, okay, so I'm going to go off on a tangent. There's actually yes. a movie that I love. It's called Crazy in Alabama. Hmm. It's actually got um, Melanie Griffith in it. Or oh, wait, okay. Is that her name? Wait. Was she married to Antonio Banderas, his wife, his ex-wife? Hmm. I don't know. I don't follow celebrities. That was my grandma's But job. it's set in the 50s, and apparently this woman lived an abusive life. Okay. With her husband and just sort of went off the deep end and mm. put his head in a hat box <laughs> and just rode around with it oh, in the shit. car. Mm-hmm. So and it's got the main character from Tokyo Drift. Oh, okay. Whatever that actor's mm-hmm. name is. I'm so sorry. I'm I don't worst. remember. But I see his face in my brain. <laughs> He's on NCIS New Orleans. I know. I would know him if I saw him. It's so funny. because, But like, it's told from the child's perspective. Oh, interesting. It is Bad shit crazy, and I fucking love it. My love mom it. was always really weirded out by the fact that my grandmother would drive around with my grandfather's ashes in the car. But, I mean, like, my grandparents were, like, they had known each other since they were 12. They were together since they were 18. Like, they so were married for lungs 32 of years of a very happy, healthy marriage. When he... Yep, she was right. Melanie Griffith. Mm-hmm. She Googled it. <laughs> I have to. Sorry. But I... My mom was just, like, not... Like, I personally didn't find anything weird about it. I kind of liked it. I was like, okay, Papa's still with us. Like, I kind of like this vibe. That to my me mom, is not My mom, though, that weird. was just, like, not... My mom thought it was, like, the most morbid thing. She called my grandma all sorts of weird <laughs> names about it. Like, I guess it's to each their own. Right. It Like you said, though, it wasn't organs, so... <laughs> Well, it wasn't his head in a hat box. It just cracked me up because it was set in the 50s. Yeah. I'm so everybody was like, oh, honey, it's okay. And she was like, no, actually, it's not okay. She would, like, talk to his head and stuff. Oh, my God. Oh, We're going to have to watch it, girl. We're putting it on the movie list. Girl, it is on the list. We're going to have to do a whole podcast on just watching movies that we tell can, each other to watch. <laughs> either that or that we can somehow tie into a case, even right? though it's not related to <laughs> not it related at, at all. all. <laughs> like an addendum, if you will. Right. So one of the stories that she told the police regarding the organs was that Bill actually killed someone. They weren't Bill himself. She told the officers that Bill was actually in Florida for work, perfectly fine and alive. Hmm, that's weird. Then how did the person that he killed perfectly body okay. parts get in the car? She was just helping. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so according to police, Omaima would pace and ramble while giving her statements, but all the while maintained that she did what she did, if anything, in self-defense. She repeatedly claimed that Bill had assaulted her and consented to an examination at the hospital. There was not any evidence of sexual trauma found at that time. Um, the examination also also showed that the cut marks on her body were not defensive wounds, but were in fact consistent with injuries that could occur while uh, dismembering a body. Hmm. Suspicious. Um, law enforcement was able to obtain a search warrant for the apartment that Bill and Omaima had shared, what they find there is 
unexpected to say the least. <laughs> Horrifying might be another way of stating it, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While conducting the search, law enforcement came across boxes of computer parts. This isn't the horrifying part. Because these were just from Bill's side hustle of repairing and selling computers from home. But they also found suitcases full of garbage bags, which happened to be full of human remains. Hmm. Police also find a broken lamp as well as an iron. Both items were found with human hair and tissue on them. The mattress in the bedroom was soaked with blood and was being supported by broken bedposts. In the bathroom, they found a skinned and gutted human torso hanging above the bathtub. You know, like, and and keep in mind, like, the officers really had very little context of to what they were walking in. Omaima, from the very moment she was caught, basically, had the same story and stuck to it this entire time. Right. So I don't think they exactly, like... I don't think they expected that. Right. Half the stuff they found, let alone the very last part. Right. How and why? I don't understand it. That was a strong, strong woman. <laughs> like, to do that by herself, she was very petite. Like... Yes. The strength that she had to exhibit it. They like, say, like, beer muscles. Yeah. I think rage and trauma Adrenaline. muscles are probably way bigger than beer muscles. Oh, so yeah. I can only imagine. That's fair. So, again, heading into the search, police weren't exactly sure what they were going to find. I mean, they did find Omaima with human remains <laughs> on her person. But still, like, you never, you know, never know, honestly. Um, they let what's-his-face go with the truck full of blood because mm. it was cow blood. So right. you never really know. People do crazy shit. Um, this scene, however, was just on a whole nother level. Um, when law, law enforcement finally got to the kitchen part of the apartment, they began to get a very clear picture of what could have gone down. On the counter, there was a deep fryer that contained human hands mixed in with turkey meat. The trash can held a human hip mixed with turkey and cranberry sauce. Bill's head which appeared to have been badly burnt. Perhaps it had been fried or otherwise heated up. Um, It was found wrapped in foil. I think wholly just put in the freezer. Yeah. After the search was complete, law enforcement concluded that Bill had been decapitated, dismembered, disemboweled, and castrated. That last one was surmised to have been revenge for all of the alleged sexual abuse. The cause of death was blunt force injuries to his skull. And it seemed as if the dismemberment had been undertaken with unusual precision, which led police to wonder if the suspect had done this kind of thing before. By the time everything had been accounted for, they found that nearly 100 pounds of Bill's remains were missing, and they could not figure out where they had gone. Ooh. Right? The fuck? Because Bill was not gigantic, but he also was not a small man. Correct. Obviously, if 100 pounds are unaccounted for... Yeah. Something be going on. Something happened. Um, so, on December 2nd of 1991... Like, literally the next day. (laughs) Um, Omaima is arrested on suspicion of murder, with her trial set to begin in the next year. She remains steadfast in her claims of self-defense, but prosecutors believe that she likely planned to rob Bill 
not actually kill him and things sort of kind of went awry. Pro prosecutors claim that Omaima had lured Bill into a consensual bondage situation so that she could easily and without suspicion tie his limbs to the bedposts. They cited the ligature marks found on Bill's ankles and said that if his hands hadn't been removed, he most likely would have had those same marks on his wrists as well. Of course, like with anything like this, you can't say definitively, but with the broken bedposts on all four and all the marks that were found, it seemed like a good bet that that would be the case. The prosecution went on to speculate that once he was tied up, Omaima demanded access to his wealth in some way, shape, or form, like, give me money, give me your pin, what can I Something. sell, etc., yeah. etc. Et According to their chain of events, being the prosecution, when Bill refused to comply with her wishes, Omaima began to brutally beat him, first with a lamp, then with an iron. She then began to violently stab Bill with scissors until the man was dead, and then proceeded to dismember the body. This already seemed like a very plausible scenario to the jury, but then the prosecution cemented their way of thinking even further with testimony from, I don't know if you'll remember him, one <laughs> Mr. Robert Hansen, who was also tied up and threatened with a shotgun. Right. Hmm. Suspicious. <laughs> As we already know, Omaima was countering all this by claiming self-defense. Her version of events differs from the prosecution's. According to her, Bill had tied her up and held her captive for several days before his murder. Omaima claimed that during this time he had raped her repeatedly. And at one point, she had managed to free one of her arms and was able to grab the lamp. She then hit Bill with the lamp before stabbing him with the scissors. She claimed she had that she had to do it so she could save her own life. Omaima also claimed that she had no memory of dismembering her husband. Girl. Oh, don't worry. We, we will get there, girl. I know. I just... <laughs> there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, this is like a plausible way that things will advance in this story. Right. And then there's times like this where I'm like, what in God's name is happening? Well, and the extra fucked up part is that I feel like both versions of events are still plausible, even well, with the information that we've yet to share. I feel like we have some truths from each side, Yeah, but I don't think either one is the full exact... That's fair. That's this, fair. This is the true version. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we may, not, we may never know. I'm curious to know what you guys <laughs> would think when we finish. Yes. Oh, just wait. <laughs> so the defense had a psychiatrist testify that there was a good chance that Omaima was psychotic at the time of the killing, which I feel as though you'd have to be to right. do these things. <laughs> right, yeah. Truly. <laughs> I feel like that's definitely got to be a given, right? <laughs> like, duh. Um, this psychiatrist cited that Omaima likely had PTSD that originally stemmed from all of the abuse she had suffered throughout her life, like in her childhood, obviously. Very right. traumatizing things happened. We do need to keep in mind, Bill was not the only man to have allegedly sexually assaulted Omaima in her lifetime. Add in the forced um, female genital mutilation and her background of having an abusive father, this was absolutely just a perfect cocktail for disaster. Thousand percent. Omaima's defense attorney, Thomas Mooney, said at the trial that the abuse triggered the psychotic event as an explanation for the violence present in the murder. 
Once both sides rest their cases, things are left in the hands of the jury. At this point in the trial, the jury needed to determine just what was Omaima's motive and intention and just how much the alleged abuse played a role in all of that. Right, because Omaima wasn't denying that she did it. Did it, not at all. She was simply trying to express what her alleged motive was in the situation. I think the only time she denied it was initially when she was stopped in Bill's car. Yeah. She said, no, Bill's fine. But as soon as they got her to the police station, it became, well, I did it, but I did it to save my life right. because of X, Y, and Z. Because one thing I was looking for was any inconsistencies with her story after that moment. Because I always find that really interesting, too. Like, that's something we saw, obviously, with, like, Casey Anthony. There was just one lie after another. Oh, that bitch can't keep a story straight. <laughs> right. And I feel like this is almost the opposite of right. that. I feel like we saw somebody who was confronted and backpedaled then, but once she kind of realized, like, there's no way I can talk my way out of this, I might right. as well tell the truth, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Parts of the truth. Because, again, I feel like the... What did it for me was Robert Hansen saying, look, this is what happened to me. Right. I was tied up, threatened with a pistol. I'm sure he was probably knocked around a little bit. Yeah. And that that mimics everything that happened to Bill, just for minus sure. the progression of it. The argument, though, of PTSD is a compelling one because that definitely plays a huge role, I think, in people's behavior. Not that it's an excuse. I was like, you have PTSD it, and you're not out here chopping people's arms and legs. Correct, correct. It's not an excuse. But, you know, I definitely... I'm not a violent person, but I can definitely speak to what it feels like to not be in control of your emotions in a moment in which you are triggered. And I... I'm very grateful to not have had this history of hers, but I've definitely had my fair share of shitty things. And, like, it's it's a really crazy moment to, like, be aware of the fact that you're not in control of what you're doing or saying. Like, I'll just say that. It's weird. It's definitely weird. But here's the thing. Things get really hairy <laughs> in this next little moment because Omaima did so much more than just dismember the body yeah. and this is kind of for me the moment where it goes the next step because I can understand a psychotic break I can understand getting triggered with your post-traumatic stress I can even understand not having any memory of it this though what I can't understand <laughs> is on a whole other level because <laughs> what stands out is what she did with the remains once she finished the actual dismemberment this is the key here I think that crossed the, the line because she started with cooking the head yes you heard that correctly she cooked her husband's head that's why it was burned when it was found in the freezer correct mm -hmm. she also boiled his hands seemingly with the intention of removing his fingerprints we should mention that the prosecution alleged during trial that Omaima also, with the help of two exes, which I don't know how much of that I believe, um, they supposedly removed all of Bill's teeth for the same reason. I don't know that she had any help in this situation. 
I feel like it would have come out in a different way. I don't way. think they prosecuted anyone other than right. her. So. So, they, so if it did happen, they didn't care enough to go after these guys. Or they didn't have guys. enough evidence. Yeah. They only had her word, you know, that kind of thing. Which, since this was very much kind of a he said, she said kind of vibe in this trial, I do feel like the prosecution might have been reaching a little bit with the teeth thing, but it's really neither here nor there right. at the end of the day. Um, Omaima went on to put some remains through the garbage disposal. Neighbors would later state that they could hear the disposal running for hours that night. I believe one neighbor actually said it sounded like the garbage disposal was straining to dispose of whatever was being put Ew. through it. Like it sounded like it was working Garbage very disposals hard. already sound like terrifying yes and my, my grandmother had one growing up and i hated when she used it isn't that in a horror movie where somebody like goes it's, to fish out a fork yeah. and next thing you know it magically turns on kind of thing i feel like that's probably in several honestly <sighs> it's kind of like a trope i think at this point but either way Gross. I don't even ever want one. I don't. No, think. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm clumsy. I don't trust myself with that kind of shit. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like I just don't. Not good. Um. So it's alleged that Omaima then took some of the remains and mixed them with various leftovers from their Thanksgiving dinner. It was also alleged that she went as far as cooking some of Bill's body. She supposedly told her psychiatrist that she cooked Bill's ribs in barbecue sauce and then proceeded to eat them. Mm. All the while, allegedly stating, quote, it's so sweet, end quote, and that nothing, quote, nothing was sweeter, end quote, than her husband's meat. It should be noted that although the psychiatrist said she sure did say that to me, Omaima does deny saying any of those things. So again, it's another... Did you or didn't you? Well, and I, the way I read it was that she denied saying that. Not so much that she denied doing it. it. So. She probably didn't mean to let those details slip. (laughs) And I, I, again, like, it's just, she had me right up until all of that. You know what I mean? Like, the one video I watched and uh, really had, like, a tone to not liking her because of her, like, choices of basically wanting to be a sugar baby. And, like, I don't judge. Like, I don't give a fuck. I, I don't even care about the, the age difference, really, as long as everybody is consenting adults and you're not right. hurting anybody. That's all I care about. I just... This was a little much, girl. Yeah. You took things a little bit too far. <laughs> well, very clearly, this isn't a case of self-defense anymore. Now, uh, yeah. Now you're just angry. This He's is the like, part that, like... And this is... I, the PTSD thing is definitely, like, a stretch, but I do still kind of can see how it could work because, again, like, you get put in that angry... It, it's consuming... Like, I was just talking to somebody about this at work, and, like, I used to be such an angry... Like, when we worked together, mm. and and anybody who listening now could probably attest to it, like, I was a really shitty person sometimes. I had a really shitty attitude. I would get angry, and I would just, like, sit in that, and I didn't know why. You'd marinate in it. Yeah, I liked... And let it affect everything. I liked being angry. And that was scary <laughs> once I kind of had that moment. Being angry, I feel, is easier than dealing with your shit sometimes. Oh, so one it's like thousand percent. Wear the rage like armor kind of thing. What is it, the Queen Herbie line? I think she says something like, I had to put all my shit out there and give myself an intervention. Like, I definitely had to, like, 
have those moments and those times and, like, have some shitty truths about myself. Luckily, I didn't act out in any type of way other than, like, like maybe snapping at some of my fellow servers. So if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, sorry. I mean, even now. I'm way cooler now, I promise. (laughs) I get complimented for how, like, even-keeled I am, and yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. If you only knew the rage Ooh. inside. <laughs> the computer hears so much swearing from me sometimes. Oh, well, like, I mother. remember when I would <laughs> when I would train servers, I would always, I always had to take them, like, on a tour of the restaurant, guys. Like, I had to, like, show them where all of, like, our little spaces were as servers. So we would get to the salad dressing cooler, and I'd be like, okay, so this is where you come and cry, and you swear, and you kick the door. Yep. Those salad dressings have heard some terrible things come out of my mouth. Sometimes Service industry, you just y'all. Have to back, like backhand a bag of lettuce to make yes. yourself feel better. <laughs> Judo chops and shit. Off sorry, of the sorry about the lettuce, y'all. <laughs> it's fine. It's in a bag. It's protected. We weren't doing anything nefarious. No, absolutely not. It was either that, or you're gonna get served a margarita with a rage. <laughs> Sometimes I worry, like I'm. Trying not to put bad energy into this, but yeah. I just really can't help it because you're being a shithead. <laughs> right? I really do try to operate There's on... no spit or fingers in it. There's no. just my rage because I'm <laughs> swearing at your drink. That's I all. I really try to operate on I will give the energy that I receive, but I've noticed that at work, I've been real spicy. Almost fought someone over a frappuccino, guys. Yeah, I don't want to say the general public has lost their minds. But the but general public has lost their minds. It's like everybody came out I'll of the pandemic, it. was super nice for a year, and now yeah. they forget how to be a people kind of thing. I feel not like a, Not everybody. I'm not... No, I feel like there's two types of people. I'm not trying to generalize it, but... I feel like there's two types of people, and, like, the positive or negative traits in those kinds of people just got exacerbated after the pandemic, honestly. Accentuated. Because there were people who were just super grateful to be able to, like, go out to dinner again and just be able to, like, go out into the world. And there are other people who are like, I couldn't get my Starbucks for two weeks. This is a travesty. Like, there's two different kinds of people in the world. (laughs) Either way... On January 12th, 1993, the jury in this trial returns with a verdict of guilty of second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. So the charge of first-degree murder was on the table, but the jury voted not to convict her of the felony charge. And I found this really interesting, considering the awful onion that we had to peel here. Right, to get to this point. Yeah, so for those of you who might not know what the differences between the two are... First degree, which is the most serious in, like, the murder charge spectrum, if you will, usually falls into one of two categories. We've got premeditated slash intentional killings. You want to think, like, stalking someone before you kill them. And then there's felony murder, which is when a death occurs while a felony was being committed. That one's got a whole lot of, like, subcategories to it, but that's the gist of it. Isn't that, so can't that just... Just for my own curiosity, isn't that something like if a teller is shot during a bank robbery kind of thing, yes. like that kind of thing? Yeah, you don't even have to be the one that necessarily caused the death. But you're still taking part in the act but of you the robbery. Committed, so, yep, okay. you committed the felony, and therefore you are partially responsible, if not fully responsible, for that Because that's immediately that where my brain went. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. But like you said, there's 400,000 yeah. subcategories. But to give it like kind of like a summation some, there. Yeah, some context. Yeah, that's kind of where it's at. Second degree is a slightly lesser charge, and it refers to either an unplanned uh, killing or 
or unplanned intentional killing or death caused by reckless disregard for human life. So it really just comes down to the intent and what the mindset was at the time, which I think is why the jury ultimately convicted the way that they did. Because uh, they, they have to be taking her mental state into into their brains here, right? Even if somebody is a violent psychopath, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're right in the head. Right. You know, like just because you're making decisions that you're aware of doesn't mean that you're you're okay. They did rule her competent to stand trial because she stood trial. So it's like... She assisted in her own defense and all of the things. So I definitely think that it was the right call. Um, And we're going to get into Susie's going to kind of go over like some of the parole options here and like we're going to see that like I I think moving along everybody did the right thing I mean the jury had to convict her she was absolutely guilty of it and even very clearly committed a horrific murder thousand percent and I definitely I think like you kind of hit the nail on the head I think it was kind of a combination of two I think that her trauma very much was in the driver's seat but there was also a lot of rage there that maybe there was so much anger, you guys. So much anger to to carry through with all the things. Not you only hit him with the Thanksgiving leftovers. Like this was just like that's anger not and only resentment the and contempt. Beatings, but then it just kept getting worse. And it, more, yeah. You know what I mean? It just so. escalated to a way that was just, just not even necessary. <laughs> so in the year two thousand six, Omaima is up for parole for the very first time. She was promptly denied. Very little discussion. Mm-hmm. You will not pass go. Here's your stamp. Mm-hmm. See you in a couple years. The commissioners felt that she was, quote, unpredictable and a serious threat to public safety, end quote. Which is fair. And also probably accurate. Right. <laughs> she became eligible for the second time in 2011 and, again, was denied. This time around, the board actually felt that she had not yet taken responsibility for the murder and that she still blamed the victim. The board concluded that she would likely not become a productive member of society uh, if actually granted her freedom. The DA said that she, quote, has failed to complete any educational or vocational classes while incarcerated and has failed to abide by prison rules, end quote. I found that very interesting. I'm curious about which rules. Well, I, like, okay, so let's dissect that for a second. It's like the part where she didn't take responsibility for the murder and still played into the victim. That makes me feel like she may have been telling the truth at least to an extent about the abuse yeah for sure and, and the the motive behind the murder just because i think at this point 2006 that's 15 years after the fact if you're still sticking with the same story even fucking casey anthony said that on her new documentary she's about to be like we don't know and i don't know and maybe this happened like even she's not able to stick to the same pool story right like i just found it really interesting that that was something that got brought up in the parole discussion that's part of your rehabilitation though yeah you're supposed to that's fair take classes or at least attend meetings or do anything and apparently she's just like no thank you Uh, other than whatever i'm forced yeah. to do because you tell me I'm not going to do it. The, pessim- the pessimistic part of me wonders how much that had to do with her versus how much that had to do with like the fact that our jail system in the U.S. is not focused on rehabilitation. I'd be curious to know what was available to her. 
And like you said, like, what were the rules? Well, and obviously, if she's incarcerated in California, we already know that California's prison system has yeah. been overloaded for years and for years. For a very years. long time. I'm not saying she should be out of prison. Right, no, not by any means. <laughs> no, I agree. I definitely think that she would not be but. a productive <laughs> member of society. PTSD is a bitch, and it does cause you to hurt people sometimes, so I definitely think that was accurate as well. Right. Like, 100%. So, just a little, I'm going to say fun with air quotes. <laughs> Heavy air quotes. Fact about Omaima's prison stay. At one point, she actually began a long-distance relationship with a, wait for it, guys, <laughs> a disabled man in his 70s. Uh, what? They got married and were apparently allowed to have conjugal visits at the jail. Mm, okay. She likes them old and rich, y'all. Unfortunately, this gentleman did pass away not too long after their marriage through no hand of Omaima. Yeah, no, she was not responsible for this one, guys. Um, But, of course, he left her, if not all, he left her buttloads yeah, of his lots money. lots of money. Um, she will get another shot at parole in 2026, so I guess we will see if the times have changed by that point, but... It, I have a feeling that Omaima is not going to change. Oh, yeah, I know. Especially now that she has money on her books. She's just not... Sitting pretty, probably. Yeah. I am definitely going to make sure that we set a Google alert because that's not that far away. And universe willing, we're going to still be doing this. Really? So <laughs> Hopefully by then we can just sit around and check our Google alerts for our 4,000 things. We have Google alerts. I already <laughs> find myself watching so much more law-related content now. And, like, I just, you guys, I have so many ideas for where we could take this. It's true. <laughs> we're hoping the new year will have us. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be exciting. We'll save that for the end. So one thing that we found particularly interesting was actually brought up during one of the parole hearings. Omaima's attorney claimed that the reason she dismembered her husband was so that they wouldn't meet again in the afterlife. So, and I literally read this and I was like, what the fuck is this lady talking about? And I was like, let me Google it. Turns out, yeah. as so, is going to tell you, yeah. it's an actual thing. It is an actual thing. Uh, if you've listened to us for a hot minute, now you will know about me. I'm obsessed with mythology. Of all kinds, mostly Greek, but all mythologies. And my favorite mythology podcast, Myth Understood, went over this myth that we're about to talk about. So I'm actually really excited about I, it. I really <laughs> thought it was made up. I'm not going to lie. I mean, mythology... Well, to a degree, but yeah. like, I read like 10 different sources that all cited almost exactly yeah. the same things. And I was like... Oh my god, it's a thing. The cool thing about Egyptian mythology is that it's slightly more documented from what I understand than they, like Greek they really, or Roman. They really was. did to like they love to write shit down. Yeah. They put it in with the mummies, which was creepy yep. to me. So Omaima claimed at some point that spirits of ancient Egyptians not only spoke to her, but they acted through her as well. You would remember that she was born and raised in Egypt. And Egyptian mythology is so fucking interesting. The whole culture is just so fascinating. So it was these spirits that supposedly told her to kill her husband in the first place, and they were the ones that directed her to dismember him because if his remains were scattered, he couldn't go on to the afterlife. What? Right. I was like, wait, 
That does make sense because they wrapped mm-hmm. their whole people yep. up. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense. The <laughs> mythology behind it is 100% there. Now, obviously, this isn't like a hold up in the court of law kind of makes sense. No, for but sure. But in, for, in my misfiring brain, I was like, oh, my God, that does check out. Right. 100%. <laughs> In mythology, I think it's just like anything else. I think that there's like an element of truth in the sense that like mythology was born because people needed an explanation as to why things were happening before they knew what was happening. Well, and also the Egyptians really 100% stock, lock, and barrel were like, we're in yeah. on this. 100%. You tell me, we're doing it. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Because death was, it was a super important of, of life in ancient Egypt. The Book of the Dead was used for 1,500 years, and it was to help people navigate what life after death should look like. I thought it was cool. It was. It is. Like the modern-day Bible, there were several different versions of this book. No two were the same. Every manuscript written contained different texts. But the gist behind them, like the understanding behind them, was the same. Like the message that was being conveyed. One, and I, unfortunately heard that a lot was like if you were rich you had fancier stuff right more spells to help you get past all the mm-hmm. trips and traps the caste system was very much a in real place thing, here. Yes. yeah for sure for sure now these books were carefully written and illustrated some spells would occur in every copy like sue's kind of mentioned but others were rarely found and these texts were also to be included in the burial tombs mostly for the wealthy and upper class society members Per the mythology behind all this, after death, your spirit departs your body. This is, however, only temporary. Your spirit will eventually need to return to your remains, remains, so your body needs to stay intact. If for some reason your body did not stay that way, it could jeopardize your afterlife. Hence the dismemberment of Bill. And getting rid of parts. Correct. So you could never make him completely whole to see Omaima in the afterlife. Yeah, which I think just lends to, like, the psychosis that she was very clearly experiencing while all this was happening. Yes, absolutely. Essentially, what happens is that your spirit goes on a little journey. (laughs) I think of it, I honestly thought of it like Ninja Warrior or something, because there's all these crazy tasks (laughs) you have to go through. That's fair. For no reason. I kind of related it to, like, the labors of Hercules in Greek mythology. Like, mm-hmm. Hercules had to, like, go do all this stupid shit because he was trying to atone for something. That was kind of, like, it's the same vibe. You just didn't get to atone. You were just, like... You were just... here. You were around for the ride, yeah. <laughs> um, so, the burial process was integral to this. The Book of the Dead was actually often placed inside the coffin or was even wrapped up with the mummy itself... This was done because the spells within those texts would help your spirit fight off evil, escape traps and animals, which were mostly things that they came in contact with every day, serpents, beetles, and snakes. Um, There were also spells for avoiding decomposition and decapitation. What? I thought that was super interesting. So bizarre. (laughs) They thought Um, of everything. That's the thing that, like, really tickles me about this is that, like, there is a rhyme and reason for every part of this. I just really want to be like, who's giving you this information that you have to face all these things? (laughs) Right. Who came back from the... mm, Mm -hmm, Who's mm -hmm, speaking mm -hmm. to you? (laughs) So your spirit has to go through several different gates on the way to, like, final resting. Each one is guarded by a different deity. 
The book itself was meant to provide your spirit with the knowledge needed for advancement, be it, like, tricking, be it doing it honestly, be it doing, you know, the best you could Mm -hmm. type of thing. Like, there was a lot of weird details in this. There really, really was. The most important challenge, though, that your spirit must face was in the Hall of the Two Mots, a.k.a. the Hall of Two Truths. This is the moment where your life on Earth was going to be judged. You were basically tasked with answering the questions asked by the 42 gods that kind of like were spread out in front of you, if you will. Just kind of hanging out in the hall. I just had visions of walking down the hall and like meeting a new god like every foot or something. See, and, and answering their question and then getting to go on. I pictured it like that scene in Harry Potter where they had to go and like have all the... Like yeah. the big round table mm-hmm. thing with just all the gods. Yeah, with like ceiling. Professor Umbridge being a huge bitch about everything. Oh, I her. <laughs> yes. So That's what I kind of like pictured. So... After the Q&A portion of the event, you would then go over to this set of scales that was actually watched over by the god Anubis. Our local magical goods store actually has a statue of Anubis that watches over the entire store while you're in it, which I really love that little like tidbit that they put in there. So one side of the scales had the, held the image of truth. The other held your heart. Your they- very own heart. They didn't think your brain mattered at all. Yeah. Back then, your heart was what controlled your body. I mean, it did pump the blood and stuff, but, like, they didn't think your brain was, like, any big deal. So they would just liquefy it with, like, a metal poker, basically. basically. like a scrambler, if you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I, I found that part very interesting also. So what they would do is the gods would weigh the two against one another, and they wanted to see if your heart was light and good or if it was being weighed down by lies. Basically, did you just tell the truth during all of your questioning? So if you did a good job on Earth, the scales would balance, and your spirit would be free to move on. If the scales did not balance, however, your spirit was given a one-way ticket to the Devourer. That guy sounds fucking terrifying. <laughs> he really did. This creature had the head of a crocodile, the body of a lion, and the haunches of a hippo, which that part really sealed the deal for me. Hippos are terrifying. They are. They're very scary. Have you ever They're very large. The when videos? they, like, rage out, I'm, like, <laughs> sort of concerned. I don't even need them to rage. Have you just watched the videos of them eating, like, whole pumpkins and yeah. watermelon? That's they scary. Just go, <laughs> it was I'm like, that could be six people's heads, for all I know. Well, and it makes sense because this devourer would eat your heart, which would cause you to die a second death. Only this time, you would be gone forever. And if, But if you made it to the end, there were a couple of options for you. Which, these sounded kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, you could sail across the sky each day with the sun god Ra and hang out in his boat. That which sounds bomb. is the one bomb. I think you said you would pick. I literally was like, <laughs> Yeah, like riding with the sun. Right. Um, You could live in the underworld with the god Osiris. No, thank you. (laughs) No? No. In the underworld? I mean, I don't know. I live in it sometimes at work. I'm good. (laughs) I feel that. Um, Or you could go to the field of reeds, which seemed to be like the biggest one, in my opinion, and the most desirable for the people of Egypt. It gives, it's, if I had to equate it to something, it's like heaven. Right? Like, that's kind of the vibe you got, right? Like a, a To me, it was like, I'm paradise. an immortal living my everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of. I mean, that's, I mean, that's how heaven was at least always described to me. 
Um, so this was an idealized version of Egypt where you could continue your earthly activities, <laughs> a.k.a. work. Which, how is that, like, ideal? Well, I mean, back then, they, they may have enjoyed it more. That's fair. If I had to be a barista in the afterlife, though, yeah. I would have a lot of Again, questions. Again, I want to ride a boat with the sun. Yeah, let's just Fuck hang out with the sun god. <laughs> um, you could choose not to work in the afterlife, but only if you brought a shabti with you on your journey. <laughs> These, this cracked me I up. I love it. like Bree said, they literally thought of every single freaking yeah. uh, tiny-ass <laughs> detail. So these were little carved figurines that would come to life, basically, in the afterlife, and do the hard work, um, seemingly, that was required in the afterlife, so that you could just sort of kick back and enjoy eternal paradise. I just love that they were like, you can only skip out of work. If you bring a slave. So, and again, this leads back to who's going to be able to bring a shop tea with them. It's going to be wealthy people. Right. It's not it's going, going to be, to be like Joe Schmo, the laborer over there. You know what I mean? So he just gets to continue to labor in the fields forever indefinitely. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. That's, <laughs> it's just rude. I don't know about that. I just really loved, too, how it was, like, they specifically bring up farming and... They did. (laughs) They brought up farming and, like, irrigation and, like, all this random stuff that, to me, just seemed like day-to-day life in ancient Egypt. And they were like, but this is what we idealize. And I was like, me? Me? In my head? I'm flying on an on-fire golden (laughs) boat with a sun god. I don't know what y'all are doing, raking leaves and cutting weeds and shit. (laughs) And I'm not knocking it, but I was just like, wait, what? No, it's definitely, I, I have definitely heard this myth before. Uh, the misunderstood folks do an episode on it. I'm going to make sure I link that episode for you guys. If you're at all curious to go into this, I could talk about it literally forever. So we had to kind of like limit to just what was relevant for Omaima because I mean, I do think it's interesting and I think that it weighs, you know, a little bit in her decision making. Again, I've been to, I've only been to Europe, and even that was like, what? They do things even present day now in 2022 that are just so different from the way we do things here that it's like, I can only imagine the culture shock, the way Mm -hmm. she was raised, like the abuse that she allegedly suffered, like all of that just snowballing into this giant, big, rage-filled Yeah, 100%. I think it's just another one of those instances that we've seen already where she, I don't think there was a different outcome on the table for her. Right. Well, if it, if it wouldn't have been Bill, it would have been somebody else down the line. Because like you said, her, her behavior escalated initially with her ex-boyfriends, Robert Hansen being one of them. And we don't know what Bill was like. It, It is all alleged. I... I am usually of the default to believe somebody when they say these things happen to them, but you can't, again, it's not an excuse always. Sometimes it's just an explanation. Right. That doesn't mean that you're, that you should be immune from consequences. Oh, no, absolutely. So that is where we're at. That's on my mom. And that is what we have for you today. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us and listening. We appreciate your support so very much. Make sure that you guys are following the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We are at Crime and Spirits Pod. 
on Twitter, we are at Crime Spirits Pod. Suze is really doing it over on Twitter. She's getting us in with those Dragula Titans that we love so much. We see you out there. <laughs> Coco Kane, we love you the most. We really do love you the mostest. I mean, and Victoria Black. Yes, it's true. Those are my girls. We're working on I it. I love you, adore you, all the things. Also, the season of Dragula is fucking crushing it. So Titans good. Is so good. I cannot wait to go to the tour. Like, I can't wait. I'm already making plans. Well, Mark is already on the pre-order list, so yes. we already know. <laughs> Megan. So we can get those meet and greets and not yes. be like crazy potato people when we meet them again. <laughs> So there's that. We had to have one. Megan, yeah. my girl, if you're out there listening, we have to hang up, hook up for a show. It'll be so much fun. Um, speaking of us personally doing things, if you'd like to follow us on social medias, we are mostly on Instagram right now. You can find me. I'm at Bree, B-R-E-E underscore, not the cheese. And I'm Suze, not Susan, all one word. Call me Susan. I might go crazy she on your house. She will cut you. If you find that you are enjoying spending some time with us, please consider leaving us a review and or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever option your preferred streaming platform gives you. We also always appreciate any feedback you may have for us, if it's constructive. (laughs) Um, And it does mean the world to us when we see it. Anytime we get a comment that's actually relevant, anytime we get five stars or 4.5 stars. I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm happy for engagement, but we did have a really cool moment this week where we won a couple of you over and you changed your ratings and you gave us something higher. So that was really fucking cool. We appreciate it. Hell yeah. We love you. So thank you. And we love you. And I think, well, you have the thing about the cases, right? Well, if you have any specific case that you want us to deep dive into or talk further about, something that you would like us to cover, again, maybe a little more in depth, just give us a shout out. We're always open to suggestions. Um, If it's something horrible, probably not. But, like, (laughs) we've covered a lot of big-name cases, and there's a lot of movement right now in them, and we're trying to keep up with all those different threads. Yeah. We're doing the Casey Anthony um, live tweet thing on Tuesday. Yes. So make sure you tune in for that. For we're going to sure. try and have it on Facebook or Instagram also, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> It'll likely be our live tweet, and then I will likely be do something being be doing something personally on Instagram. Heard that. So I'll likely be tagging like the podcast in that, but just because it'll be easier if we each kind of do our yeah, own thing. Yeah, can focus on one medium at a time. Yeah. But we are really working at hard, guys, and we always appreciate your support. So. so thank you so very much, and we love you so very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.